Hello, 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 and welcome to the first edition of the Full 48 Podcast. It's your boy DRG here, and I'm really happy to be here talking all things basketball with you. Some of you may have followed me on Instagram at TransitionDRG. You can also listen on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. The new NBA season is just over a week in, and we've got plenty to talk about. The Lakers and Nets are a combined 1-10 on the season so far, with the Lakers as the only winless team in the entire NBA. Which of these two teams has the best chance to rebound? I'll tell you what I'm seeing so far and what we can expect from these two teams in the near future. Unfortunately for the Nets, they're dealing with a bit of a self-inflicted PR crisis of their own right now. You might think that assessment is a bit too harsh given the reality, but coming up, I'll tell you why it might not be harsh enough. Obviously, we'll get into the Toronto Raptors. What's their ceiling and their floor for this season if relatively healthy? How would you rate Pascal Siakam's start to the season so far? Is it sustainable? And what might that Raptors glaring weakness be that is taking away from an obvious strength? Who's my favorite team to watch on League Pass so far this year? Who's my least favorite team to watch so far on League Pass this year? What's going on with Kawhi and the Clippers? Is it time to worry? Stay tuned for this and so much more. But first, the Los Angeles Lakers, as alluded to, have started 0-5 on the season so far, despite having a top-ranked defense. Former Laker Danny Green commented to SI's Howard Beck on the Crossover podcast and spoke about Rob Polinka's roster construction around LeBron James. Here's what he had to say in a nutshell. They have Dennis back now for cheaper. I thought he was a good fit for them. I thought there were a lot of good pieces that were good fits for them, and they let go or traded away, and they thought they had a better fit. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what you need around LeBron and AD. Now, obviously, there's no secret to the fact that what Danny Green is alluding to is that this team has absolutely zero perimeter shooting around LeBron James and Anthony Davis right now. And that is absolutely compounding issues as they are a bottom offense in the NBA. Taking a look at some of the numbers, this team is beyond dreadful shooting the basketball. 8.4 three-pointers made per game, dead last in the association. 102.2 points per game, second last in the association. 23.7% from three-point land. Not only is that last in the league, but that is last in the league by almost 6% to the next worst team, Orlando, at 29.4%. This team is bottom 10 in free throws made, free throws attempted, assists per game. They've got the third most turnovers per game. And I thought that this was a really telling stat. From zero to five feet, this is a bottom 10 team in percentage front shooting from the field. From five to 10 feet, this is a bottom 10 shooting percentage team. From 10 to 14 feet, this is a bottom 10 shooting percentage team. From 15 to 19 feet, this is a bottom 10 shooting percentage team. From 20 to 25 feet, 
This is a bottom two shooting team. And from 25 to 30 feet, you guessed it, this is the worst team in the association. I can't remember the last time I've seen a team historically at the bottom of the association from zero feet to 30 feet. We've had teams that are great in the paint and horrible in the perimeter and vice versa. This team is horrible at the moment on all three levels shooting the basketball in the paint, in the mid range and beyond the three point line. And this ultimately comes down to as Rob Polinka is responsible here, as Danny Green alluded to the roster construction surrounding LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to run through all 29 teams in the association right now. What's your favorite team? What's your least favorite team? And I want you to think of one team in the league right now that has least that has less shooting than LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and these Los Angeles Lakers. Think about it. Despite what their expectations may be, whether it's the Utah Jazz, Indiana Pacers, or Detroit Pistons, respectfully, who are supposed to be vying for a lottery position this year, or it's the Golden State Warriors, Miami Heat, or Milwaukee Bucks that are supposed to be title contenders. You look at any team in the association and you name one of them that doesn't have at least one above average shooter on their roster. Think about it. If we look in that division that the Lakers are in on their own, Phoenix has a Cam Johnson. The Clippers have a Luke Kennard. The Kings have a Malik Monk, who was just on the Lakers. Who do the Lakers have to shoot the basketball? Look at the Utah Jazz. They've got a Mike Conley. They've got a Jordan Clarkson who shot the basketball well. They've got a Malik Beasley who shot 40% from three. You look at so many of these teams. You name one of them that does not have at least one above average shooter. Every single one, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, has at least one shooter. It's an absolute atrocity that this team built around LeBron James in his 20th year does not have at least one above above average shooter not named LeBron James. And that comes down directly on Rob Polinka. And I think the more disheartening fact for Lakers fans might be that Rob Polinka just received a contract extension heading into this season. You gave a man a contract extension without knowing how he was going to handle this Russell Westbrook situation, or maybe you do. But if you're on board with this plan, this is not it. This is a waste of the supreme talent and time that you have left with one of the greatest players to ever walk the basketball court. 8.4 pointers made per game. 23.7 three-point percentage. 
as I mentioned, almost a full six percentage points lower than the Lakers at this moment. This team's not sharing the basketball. They're not shooting well from anywhere on the court. And their next five, six games don't look any easier. They could be staring at 0-11. And people will say, oh, well, they've got Utah coming up on the schedule. Utah looks like a deep team in comparison to this Lakers team. If you're a Lakers fan right now, what future looks better for you? The Lakers future or the Utah Jazz future? Because if that's the game that you're looking at to possibly win in the next six games, you're in big trouble. Switching gears over to the Brooklyn Nets, who you could say are in similar turmoil of their own right now. An absolute devastating loss at the hands of the Indiana Pacers yesterday. A loss at home to a team that you're definitely expected to beat. A game in which Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, each score again over 30 points. And your team still loses the basketball game. And now you've got to look at it here and you've got to say, does this team have what it takes regardless of a better commitment, a better, you know, more attention to detail on defense, rebounding the basketball, with all of those things combined, is there even a pathway forward for this team sitting at one in five? When you think about it here, not only has this team not defended well, but the one thing that I've noticed watching the Brooklyn Nets is they take a few punches in the face and they kind of fold. That resilience to get back up after getting knocked on your ass is just not there. I thought that this was really interesting yesterday in the post-game press conference that Brooklyn Nets head coach Steve Nash held after the loss to the Pacers at home. He was asked, how would you describe the difference in terms of effort and the mindset of the team last night? Steve Nash responded, it was a disaster. How else do you say it? I mean, I didn't see the will, didn't see the desire or the connectivity necessary to get stops or rebounds. That was the response yesterday to that question. It was a disaster. Now, it's never a good sign when your head coach is speaking in terms of your effort and calling it and characterizing it as a disaster. There was no will and no desire. But ultimately the indictment is also on yourself as a coach. You're not seeing the connectivity necessary and it is your job as a coach to make sure that you put guys in position to have that continuity and that connectivity that you require. 
When Nash was asked, what message were you imparting to the team after? He said, that was it. We got to make a bigger commitment. It's got to mean more. We got to care more. So we're six games into the season here, and we don't have that bigger commitment already. It doesn't mean anything. And guys aren't caring enough. With the offseason that this team has had, the turmoil surrounding this team, the will he or won't he opt in, will they or will they not trade him, the trade demands, the ultimatums from Kevin Durant, the uncertainty surrounding Ben Simmons and whether or not he'd be able to come back to this basketball team and in what way would he contribute. The fact that so many different contemporaries in similar situations contractually to Kyrie Irving all received contract extensions this past summer, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, and ultimately you're paying in the final year of a contract, you would think these would be motivating factors. These would be factors that you would perhaps want to show that will, want to show that desire, want to show that commitment, want to care more because of all of the noise coming in off of your backs from this offseason. And the fact that in terms of Kyrie Irving, you're playing for a contract extension, if not in Brooklyn, then somewhere else. You're playing for $200 million potentially. You're playing for long, some more long-term security. When asked if his message as head coach was not being heard in terms of sticking to a defensive game plan and sticking together, Nash responded, no, they're hearing it. They're arguing with each other about missing coverages and the lack of communication out there. Just too many years, too many years on top of lack of effort at times. And sometimes you just, it's not about schemes. It's about fighting. And when asked, where do you go from here? He says, we have to look deep, deep inside ourselves. What do we want to do? What do we want to accomplish? Do we want to give up on this because it's been difficult early? Or do we want to stay the course and try to build something? We're not seeing the same competitive spirit, the same purpose. That's disheartening six games into your NBA season coming from your head coach in such a make or break year for this team. One in five. Your lone win to the Toronto Raptors in, let's face it, a game that they blew. They gave you that game. You didn't even steal it. They dropped the bag and they gave you the game. We're looking at an 0-6 team here, essentially, without that win. And obviously, there is so much to unpack with this team outside of basketball. And obviously, there's been much made in terms of Kyrie Irving and his like to a post, essentially, to a video on Amazon Prime that many view to be anti-Semitic and spewing of hateful rhetoric. Now I'll admit I have not watched the film. It is not necessarily high on my to-do list to watch this film, 
to offer you that time of type, that type of critique on what was essentially put up on Kyrie's Instagram or Twitter and whether or not it was appropriate or not, or whether or not it contained hateful, divisive rhetoric or not. That's not really my goal here. What my particular interest here was, what my particular thought process here was, was that the first time I heard of this sharing of this post or this like of this post was not from ESPN, was not from the Bleacher Report, was not from The Athletic, it wasn't from Woj, it wasn't from Chris Haynes, it wasn't from Nick Friedle, it was from Joe Sy himself, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. And that to me is a problem in and of itself. Why would we want to cause a firestorm for ourselves? This was not something that was reported in the media. And Josai came out and responded to it. That was not what this was. This was something that was brought to Josai's attention. And he felt the need to tweet this information. and essentially leaked this information to the media. The tweet was, I'm disappointed that Kyrie appears to support a film based on a book full of anti-Semitic disinformation. I want to sit down and make sure he understands this is hurtful to all of us. And as a man of faith, it is wrong to promote hate based on race, ethnicity, or religion. That was the tweet by Joe Sy as it pertains to Kyrie Irving. I want to sit down and make sure he understands this is hurtful to all of us. Now, why did I repeat that here? I'll tell you why I repeated that here. I don't want to hear that I want to sit down with him if you're Joe Sy. I don't want to read that. I want to hurt. I want to hear. It appears that Kyrie had liked a comment or a post in regarding to a book or a film that I thought contained hateful rhetoric. And I have sat down with Kyrie. I have spoken with Kyrie. I have understood what he has spoken about. I have not understood what he has spoken about. I have explained to him what my thoughts were and why I felt this way. And he has understood or he has not understood. I don't like the fact that that came out the way that it did and the way that it has come out assumes that you have not spoken with Kyrie Irving before you put that out there, before that was out there for the media. So you left that out there for interpretation when you are the owner of this team. You pick, you pay the paycheck. You pay the millions. And before you go putting out a tweet and leaking that information and saying you want to speak to your own player that you pay, that is on your payroll, you can pick up the phone and speak to him yourself 
You can pick up the phone and say, hey, Kyrie, can we meet in the morning? You can show up at shoot around, show up in the locker room and say, hey, I'd love to discuss this further with you before putting that out on Twitter. Love it or hate it, whether you like what Kyrie posted or not, whether you agree with it or not. And like I said, I'm not here nor there for it. I have not listened to it. I don't plan on it at this present moment in time. My issue is not about what was said, not said, liked or not liked. My issue is how it was handled from the top down. And you could argue that these types of situations are why the Nets are never going to win basketball games. You assess both teams right now. Heading back to the Los Angeles Lakers and Brooklyn Nets, as I mentioned, a combined 1-10 this season with that one win by the Brooklyn Nets being a game that Toronto Raptors essentially gave them. And if you're looking at this team, which team do you actually think has the worst outcome right now? Which team has the best? Which team would you rather be a fan of right now? Which team do you think should have the most optimism moving forward based on their start? That's a tough one. Offensively, the Nets show some cohesion. But that comes with having two of the most gifted scoring basketball players on the entire planet in the history of the game in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I'd expect some level of cohesion there. On the defensive side of the basketball, they're atrocious. They give up open threes. They give up extreme amounts of offensive rebounds. They give up a high shooting percentage from from the three. They don't defend well. They give up easy drives and penetration into the lane. And as you can see, and as Coach Steve Nash spoke of previously, that effort that you're looking for, especially in a team that has high expectations that has started off the the season um, a a bit weak, is not there. On the flip side, you have the Los Angeles Lakers that can't throw a stone into an ocean. Their offense is atrocious. But they're leaning on their defense and have been in every single game this year. Now, they're historically shooting the basketball horribly. But there are some shooters on this team that are not as bad as these percentages indicate. So you could argue... And like I said, you could argue, like really, really, really argue, and I'm not saying you're going to win, but you could argue that there may be a slither more optimism for these Los Angeles Lakers as opposed to these Brooklyn Nets if you're looking simply at what they could potentially turn the team around offensively as opposed to where Brooklyn is defensively. Ben Simmons, if nothing else, was supposed to stabilize his defense. He was supposed to be the guy that could guard one through five and the guy that could actually fill a lot of these gaps and holes that the Nets have defensively. You could argue he's almost been a liability for them. 
that's something that I don't think that we saw coming into this season. Whereas the Lakers, we knew that they were going to be an improved defensive team. I didn't have them as a top three defensive team to start the season. But we also knew that this team was going to be horrible shooting the basketball. Did we know that they were going to be this horrible? Some would say yes. But we knew that they were going to be closer to this than perhaps the defense of the Nets was going to be closer to that. So I think that when you're looking at that and you're looking at coaching, outside noise, that connectivity that Steve Nash alluded to, as crazy as this sounds, you could argue that there's a little bit more reason for optimism with these Los Angeles Lakers, despite where they are right now, than with the Brooklyn Nets. And that is saying something. Let's transition over to the Toronto Raptors for now. The Raptors have started the season off three and three so far. All six games have been against playoff teams from the previous year. So definitely no cupcake of a schedule here. Initially, we saw a opening night victory against the Cleveland Cavaliers, followed by back-to-back -back losses against Brooklyn, as I mentioned that game that Toronto sort of blew, so to speak followed by a loss in Miami the next night. The Raptors were able to rebound two nights later following that physical skirmish that did occur in Miami between Christian Coloco and Martin as well. They were able to rebound with a 98-90 win on the second half of that uh, two-game mini-series there with the Miami Heat. And they followed that up with a 119-109 victory at home against the Philadelphia Sixers. Now, last game for the Raptors, they got blown out of the building thanks to an extremely hot Tyrese Maxey, who has absolutely torched the Toronto Raptors to start his career. Uh, they lost that game 112-90 without Joel Embiid in what was by far their worst loss of the season so far. So the Toronto Raptors sit at three and three, and they'll be looking to rebound tomorrow night at home against the Atlanta Hawks. And the question obviously is, how would you grade the season so far for the Toronto Raptors? What have we seen? What have we liked? What have we not liked so far? They're, as I mentioned, three and three, seventh place in the Eastern Conference. There's been one issue that has been obviously an issue that the Raptors have had for the better part of two to three years. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be extremely critical here of Masai Ujiri, Bobby, West, Bobby Webster, and the entire crew running the Raptors. We need backup point guard assistance. Delano Banton is a great piece. We've seen strides in his game. But a combo of Banton and Flynn 
was not getting it done last year, doesn't look to be getting it done this year. We've heard that the Raptors were in on Malcolm Brogdon during the offseason. So clearly that there is a there is a inclination here. There is a knowledge that this is a position that we need to improve as a team. Now, one of your biggest strengths as a team is your starting point card position with Fred Van Vliet. And a lot of times we saw Freddie play extremely high minutes last year due to the lack of confidence Nick Nurse has in that second unit specifically at point guard. And I think that's starting to show now. That's really starting to wear on Van Fleet. Van Fleet stands at 6-1. Heavy minutes, heavy usage. And yes, we do have Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam that can definitely take on some of the ball handling duties that, you know, obviously Fred Van Fleet as a point guard would have to take on. But they're not guarding point guards consistently. They're not guarding point guards and creating offense consistently. And I think that's the weakness that is really hurting this team right now. Where do we go to get that help for backup point guard? What do you do to get it? Is there a move that can be made in terms of internally? Someone within your system, within the developmental camp, within the Raptors 905? Is this something that you're potentially looking at a trade down the line? Are you looking at potentially bringing somebody in off the streets who may be a free agent that is not with a team right now? These are a lot of the questions that Toronto Raptors have to be looking and answering themselves right now. Because as it stands, that backup point guard rule is not only hurting your starters in terms of the amount of pressure that is putting on Van Fleet, but it's also hurting your bench production, which in tune and in the long run is going to definitely hurt this team in a very deep Eastern Conference. If you're just looking at teams with lead guards, coming up, we've got Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. You've got Devin Vassell coming up for the San Antonio Spurs. You've got Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka Doncic coming up. You've got DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Alex Caruso coming up two nights in a row. Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. There's no backcourt in the NBA that is necessarily trash anymore. Guys can score. And at some point, we're going to have to look to address that backup point guard position and or loosen the reins on the ones that we do have. 
is the team sold on Banton as a backup point guard to start the season? I'm not 100% sure. And I'm not 100% sure that I'm seeing it either. So I think that that's a bit, uh, I'd say, disheartening to see so far, right? If we're looking at, you know, simple production from an assist standpoint, you know, we're getting nothing off the bench here. If we're looking at scoring on a point per game production level here, apart from Chris Boucher, who's played three games, we're not getting much off the bench here. Right? We don't have a point guard averaging more than eight minutes a game that's not named Fred Van Fleet. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Delano Benton, 8.1 minutes per game. Malachi Flynn, 6.5 minutes per game. So is this a talent issue? Is this a trust issue? Or is this a combination of both? Because mark my words, this team is going nowhere it wants to go if this trend continues for a full season. We got to be able to get more than 14 minutes out of the backup point guard spot. We just have to. We've got to be able to get more than 5.5 points and one assist a game combined from the backup point guard spot. That's inexcusable, y'all. That's that's unacceptable. There is no continued path to success like that. So that's something that I think is really, really going to have to improve here if you're the Toronto Raptors. Now, switching gears here, we're going to go to my favorite team to watch on NBA League Pass right now. There's been a few great surprises to start the NBA season, obviously. We've had the Pelicans that have been, you know, just a delight to watch despite Zion, Brandon Ingram being in and out of the lineup. You've had the Portland Trailblazers who have started out hot. You've had the Milwaukee Bucks who have started out the season 5-0 and so far. There's been a lot of great play to start the season. I'll tell you the team that I love watching the most so far. Two teams. Two teams that I love watching the most so far. One... Those New Orleans Pelicans sitting at four and two under Willie Green. They play an exciting, hard nosed brand of basketball. And the one thing that I love watching about this team is that one through 12, you can see the buy in. It doesn't matter whether they're on the road, whether they're at home, you can see the buy in. This team is deep and They're the classic example of one man out, next man up. And that next man up does arguably just as good that night as the one man down. So they don't miss a beat. They don't miss a step. Trey Murphy III comes in in the starting lineup, replacing Brandon Ingram. 
he goes off seven to seven from three. These are the types of things that make this team exciting. They played four of their first six games on the road, won three of them. This is a good, good basketball team. Sitting at four and two right now in the in the uh, in the Western Conference, fourth place, and they're simply rising. This is a very, very good, very fun basketball team to watch. Favorite team on League Pass to watch, I'd say, out of the Eastern Conference has got to be so far the Atlanta Hawks. Exciting brand of basketball. Trey Young is in midseason form already. And it's going to be really interesting to see once these guys get a bit more chemistry under their belts, what that backcourt is going to look like at full stride with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they do anything with this team in terms of making a move with either Okongu or Clint Capella, as they do have some depth there. And with that being an obvious strength, maybe they can use that strength to plug a weakness down the line. I think potentially another two guard or another three man would be huge for this team, one that can score consistently on the perimeter to relieve some of that pressure on Bogdanovich and DeAndre Hunter. And that might be something that you look at down the line if you're the Atlanta Hawks. But by far, those two teams right now have been the most exciting to me to watch on League Pass. The least exciting teams to watch. There's been a few. Obviously, offensive, you'd have to say the Los Angeles Lakers, despite what they're doing uh, defensively and the effort that you see them putting forth. That offense is absolutely abysmal, and it's been like bleeding eyes to watch at times. And that's been... You know, that, that's been obviously a buzzkill to watch that team. And I would never have imagined to say that one of the least favorite teams that I like to watch on League Pass is a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on it. But that's where we are right now. And in the Eastern Conference, my least favorite team to watch on League Pass right now has been the Philadelphia 76ers. Unfortunately, we haven't seen much in the way of a different offensive philosophy to serve that team to its strengths. Don't get me wrong. We've seen an improved James Harden. We've seen a renewed James Harden. We've seen uh, refurbished, so to speak, James Harden. We've seen a James Harden that has been somewhat like the James Harden of old, trying to create a bit more separation, getting to the paint a little bit more quicker on the step back, quicker on the draw of the three on the release, which of course is helping him draw a lot more fouls than he was last year. But philosophically, we're still seeing a lot more of that one man, that one man ball a lot of the dribble, dribble, dribble. 
And it's not a disrespectful slight, you know, for lack of a better term, when I say more of the dribble, dribble, dribble. I just say that in terms of there's a lot more of Harden operating in the ISO and trying to create for others as opposed to that ball, that rock constantly moving and bodies constantly moving and cutting and playing inside out off of Joel Embiid. And the one thing that I noticed watching the Philadelphia 76ers, especially in that loss against the Toronto Raptors in that first game, Embiid looked like he didn't want to be there. Joel looked like he was absolutely miserable on the court in that game against the Toronto Raptors. And I understand nobody likes to lose, but just seeing your star player, your best player, your MVP candidate, not look disinterested, but just look miserable at what was going on the court to me was a really, really telling, telling tale. And it's going to be really interesting to watch this team and their body language moving forward, especially if things don't go well, if they don't get back on the winning track. Obviously, when you're looking at the Philadelphia 76ers, they've got you know, an interesting schedule coming up. They have two games with the Wizards. You should expect them to win. Joel Embiid has always historically played very well against Washington, and they have absolutely no answer for him. They've got the Knicks, the Suns, and then two games coming up with the Atlanta Hawks. So this... The six-game stretch coming up for Philadelphia is going to be really interesting. It's going to be a really interesting stretch. And I think anything other than, you know, a four and two to rebound from the start of the season, and a lot of the negative chatter is going to continue around this team. Now, our last topic for the day. What's going on with Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers? Is it time to worry? That's an interesting question here. The Los Angeles Clippers have played their last two games without Kawhi Leonard. They will play at least the next two games without Kawhi Leonard. This is a team that's sitting two and four on the year so far. This is a team that is sitting dead last in the association in points per game, just over 100 points per game. Now, I understand that the Kawhi Leonard has missed two games so far. I know that Paul George has missed a game or two here and there. But I'll be honest with you here. That's surprising to me. Despite all of that, 
this is not a team that I expected to see dead last in the association in scoring. Reggie Jackson has not looked great to start the year. Luke Kennard has not looked good to start the year. There has not been much of a contribution from Amir Coffey or Moses Brown. John Wall has been a bit inconsistent and Paul George has not looked like Paul George over the last three games. You've got to wonder, is there something up with Paul George? Is he hurt here? Is there something else that's going on? Because his production has not been what we've accustomed to from him. It's not what we expect from him. Norman Powell looks like a shell of himself in a Clipper uniform right now. Norman Powell does not look like the Norman Powell that he's been. And I think that that is going to be something to watch here. Is this team, can this team reasonably expect Kawhi to play 60 games this year? Can Kawhi reasonably expect to play 60 games this year? This is this is tough sledding for the Los Angeles Clippers right now. A lot of people had chosen this team as a potential favorite. And right now, they don't look like that at all. And what is the outlook of this team if Kawhi is not playing 30 games this year? Or 60 games this year? If Kawhi is missing 30 games this year... This team's going nowhere. I don't care if you get him back healthy in the playoffs. There goes something to speak of in terms of cohesion and chemistry and building something so you have that momentum going in the playoffs. And this team almost looks like even if they get it all back together, has their window passed? Has their time come and gone before it really even came, before it really ever arrived. This team's got two games coming up against Houston. And you would say those might be get right games for this team, but this team lost two straight games to Oklahoma City. Then they've got the Spurs, the Jazz, followed by games against the Cavs, Lakers, and Nets. This is a huge stretch for this team. And if you're looking at the next two games without Kawhi Leonard against the team in the Houston Rockets that is scoring the basketball at a high clip, when you're not scoring the basketball at even an average clip, this Clippers team could be in some big trouble before it even starts. That's it for this first edition of the Full 48 podcast. It's your boy DRG signing off here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please leave your questions, comments. Again, you can listen on Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you consume your podcasts. Until next time, peace and love, guys.